Hi everyone. Welcome to Sharabic Agora Conversations presented by IHS Market. The topic for today's panel discussion is cybersecurity protecting energy infrastructure. My name is Vinod Jagatam Rao. I'm director consulting at IHS Market, and I'm pleased to welcome uh, the team of panelists today: uh, Leo from Siemens, Dr. Herbert Lin from Stanford, and Dr. Merit Bear from uh, Amazon Web Services. Welcome to Leo, the Herb, and Merit Bear. As we know, the post-COVID-19, the digital transformation is emerging as a paradigm shift driving industries all across the world. Uh, and especially uh, if you talk about energy industry, there have been a lot of recent attacks on energy infrastructure. In particular, everyone would have heard about the recent ransomware attack uh, on the, the colonial pipe in the US uh, transporting nearly half of the transport fuel in the Eastern United States. I think this attack should be a starting lesson exposing the vulnerability of the critical infrastructure for cyber risk. I think I would like to start with you, Leo, to understand what do you think are the threats uh, currently prevailing post-COVID era for energy infrastructure? Yeah, so um, industrial cybersecurity or critical infrastructure has become the new risk frontier. And it's um, being driven by three major trends. Um, the first is obviously risk. Um, and as um, the energy industry um, accelerates its transition to cleaner, more distributed, more efficient energy system, um, that infrastructure is, is getting more interconnected. At the core of that connectivity, obviously, are digital controls. Um, and it's the real-time connectivity and compute that's enabling lots of efficiency. At the same time, the attack surface is expanding and more brownfield assets are coming online, digitally native assets um, are, are being added to the system. That's creating a lot of complexity um, and frankly opportunity for the adversaries or bad actors um, to target critical infrastructure. Um, and the, the big reason for this of course is uh, by attacking critical infrastructure, um, there's opportunity to make money, but there's also opportunity to cause a lot of damage. So risk digitalization and frankly, um, regulation um, are making this topic a major issue in, in security and something that we in the energy industry need to focus on. You did bring up a regulation and Dr. Herb, I would like to involve you in this. Given, given your research scholar at Stanford University working on policy, uh, what do you think are the, the current regulatory authorities doing about uh, sharpening the regulations around cybersecurity policies? What's your thoughts on, can it be done more? Are, are we too late to act on this? What's your thoughts on this, Dr. Herb? Uh, from my perspective, uh, the, uh, you, you, you mentioned the regulatory uh, side of it. Um, there, there is, I think, a growing sentiment, a growing sentiment that some form of regulation on cybersecurity will be needed. Uh, uh, I say it's, a, it's only a sentiment, not yet uh, taken, not yet manifested in any action, uh, but I think there are a number of uh, influential voices um, being heard now uh, that say, that uh, the voluntary approach, the non-mandatory approach to promoting cybersecurity does not uh, does not provide an adequate level of cybersecurity for the nation. Okay, but 
Do you agree the governments and business must constantly adjust to a continual escalating Fed landscape? Do you think there should be a, probably a, a mix of public private participation in framing a, a, a set of rules governing these kind of cybersecurity uh, rules and laws? My own feeling is yes. Uh, people complain. What people do is they complain that uh, regulatory burdens are too high and so on. But the simple fact of the matter is that people, in the absence of regulation, people are not taking any, they're not taking even the minimum actions needed. So yes, I do believe that. Do you feel the, the onus is on the, both the government and the private sector to drive this forward, right? Well, here's the, here, here's the problem, okay? A company, you could expect a company to invest in cybersecurity at a level that is consistent with its own business interests. That is, they, they make a cost benefit calculation and they decide how much uh, they're, they're willing to spend based on how much they, 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 they might lose if they don't do it. And they make, a, they make some decision about that. Um, let's assume that all companies do that. They do not, I mean, so, and, and I know they do not, uh, they usually underestimate the cybersecurity threat, but never mind that, let's pretend they are that good. The problem is that when you have, when energy sector or, 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 or what have you is, is, is critical to the entire nation, you require a level of cybersecurity for the nation that is higher than what you would get even if all of the uh, companies individually optimize for their own business needs. And so that, that delta, that increment uh, between what everybody would do if left to their own devices uh, in business and what the nation needs um, is a substantial one. And the, then, the, then there's a big fight about who pays for it. Because why should the companies say, why should I pay for something that only benefits the nation and doesn't benefit me anymore? Okay. And the nation says, but you own the stuff and you have, you have an obligation to the nation. And so that's just, the, that's a, that, that gets into a big fight about values and economics and all this other stuff that uh, nobody knows how to resolve. My own feeling is, these companies uh, have the privilege of, of, of uh, making money in, a, in, 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 my, in my case, in the United States, uh, and they should be willing to pay for that privilege uh, by increasing their, their, their cybersecurity posture. But I recognize that my view is only one view about it, and, and that, gets, that gets fought out at, uh, at the political level. It's really a question of who pays for it. Gotcha. Thank you. On, on merit, on... You coming from the background of the CSISO office of Amazon Web Services, what is your perspective on how the companies spend and treat cybersecurity as a strategic priority? Because I think history and statistics say that energy companies probably invest less than 1% of the revenue of cybersecurity. But I also understand the situation has begun to change. What's your perspective coming from an Amazon Web Services perspective on how the companies are targeting cybersecurity and how they're prioritizing that in their agenda? Uh, thanks. So uh, I think that one of the things that um, I see from my vantage point in the CISO's office at AWS is the way that cloud allows enterprises to inherit some security. 
So, you know, the value proposition of cloud is that you have outsourced some of that heavy under differentiated labor, right, of building data centers and, you know, looking for the rogue server under someone's desk. And so that means that uh, every enterprise, including uh, critical infrastructure, now doesn't have to be good at doing that large scale physical infrastructure. They don't have to be great at the guards and the gates and the, you know, concrete floor up through the hypervisor. They inherit uh, security as a benefit of being in cloud. And so I think there are ways in which cloud has been an enabler for some of these, um, you know, large unwieldy enterprises to be able to move into a more current uh, security model to abstract away so that they are interacting with, uh, you know, infrastructure as code and then able to do security as code and able to reason more about the security they have, able to have more holistic visibility. It doesn't mean that like, the story stops there. There's still lots of work and it's a continuous project. But um, but I think that as we think about the reasons that enterprises move to cloud, you know, security is often one that ends up being like the, the last to drag across the line. You know, the CISO is nervous about doing security in a new way. And really, I think we should be thinking of it as a business enabler. I mean, like security as a business differentiator is one of the inheritances that you get with cloud. So do you think the, the, the CISO tech leadership needs a lot of uh, coaching to make sure they have uh, cybersecurity as one of their topmost agenda uh, during their strategic digital transformation uh, roadmap and planning? Oh, here's the thing, right? I mean, even ransomware is nothing new. These are um, kind of uh, indications that, that folks aren't doing the eat your vegetable stuff. So we've got to have, you know, uh, limited opportunities for credential compromise. We've got to have uh, limited opportunities for unpatched systems to be vulnerable. And a lot of that, you know, like I said, some of that can be taken off your plate when you do um, cloud provider because we're doing, we're not doing software as a service. We're actually providing, you know, uh, the delivery of um, services. And so I think that, you know, some of that means that CISOs will um, be able to take advantage of that. But yes, I think there is a bit of an adjustment that the CISO needs to really think critically. And as Herb pointed out, um, you know, let's assume that they have perfect information about the risk that they are assuming, um, which of course is not a real assumption that we um, believe to be true. But even assuming that um, the reality is that most of these folks are not thinking, well, what risks am I already assuming by not modernizing by not moving into some of these uh, next level security mentalities and ability to do more tactical, um, more fine grained identity centric permissions, for example. Yeah. And, and Leo, uh, what do you think is, is there because of the convergence of the, what do you call the information technology IT and the operating OT, uh, cybersecurity attacks have increased and given the IoT of things being widely deployed in industrial uh, digital transformation. So do you think that has led to a, a, a kind of an increase in attacks uh, because of convergence of IT and OT? Well, it certainly um, has uh, made it more complex um, because um, a lot of the boundaries between operational technology and information technology are, are blurring. But it, even before um, the massive push um, to, uh, to real-time connectivity, to enabling compute and cloud um, and all the benefits that comes with that, uh, we saw a number of attacks 
um, that targeted critical infrastructure that had severe consequences. And e even though that infrastructure was air-gapped, uh, one of the big challenges was, was insider threat. The, um, with real-time connectivity, there's actually a ton of benefit. And uh, Merit mentioned some of it. Um, uh, what it fundamentally gives you is visibility. If we go back to Colonial and think about the action that the operator had to take on a suspicion that uh, operational technology was being impacted, the operator had to shut down the whole system. With visibility, we can take a more precise approach to targeting the threat, isolating it and containing it. Um, and to do this, we need to be able to monitor critical infrastructure. We need to be able to detect the threats that are there. The challenge, of course, is that uh, the, uh, uh, the maturity of the industry is pretty low. Many of the assets that are being connected um, to the outside world um, have not been maintained for years, in some cases, decades. So um, the, what we need to do is, um, you know, at, on the one hand, get our house in order, and on the other hand, uh, deploy tools that help us understand what's happening. We call that context. Um, and then thirdly, we need to enable um, the, and cut through the complexity for the asset owners so they can begin to take appropriate responses. Um, and that begins with understanding of their risk. Um, and then from there, um, prioritization of what's important in the system. Thank you. Uh, and Dr. Hub, what do you think about the, the different cybersecurity laws by the EU, US, and especially when there is a shared electricity grid amongst countries, uh, what's your perspective on how can probably one can probably uh, try to tackle that when there are like kind of different cybersecurity laws across different geographies and where there's sharing of resources like an electricity grid, a power network sharing, and where there's an attack on such power networks? It's the same problem that we have with any other sort of cross-border cross cyber issue. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't see it being any worse or any better uh, in the uh, for the power uh, sector, with the possible with the possible exception of the uh, interconnections between the United States and Canada, um, because those those electrical systems are are very closely uh, related, and and I, I think there's a great deal of cooperation. But leaving that out, uh, outside as as an exception, it is my. Uh, I haven't seen any particular cooperation, international cooperation that's particularly forthcoming um, in dealing with uh, cyber do you think, energy. Do you think in the future such an initiative could work well, would board well, to, because you know, been seeing cross-border cyber attacks by either state actors or hacktivists, do you think such an initiative would probably stem the cybersecurity attacks if, if probably governments and the other uh, companies come together? Do you think that could be a feasibility? Well, yes, but I also think the world would be a whole lot better if we had free energy too, and if energy didn't cost anything to produce. So I don't see, I don't foresee that world, the world that you described coming anytime soon. Um, sure, would it help? Of course, um, but there are many things that would help. Uh, that people are not going to do, and I think this is one of them. And, and just to pick up on, uh, on Herb's point, I, I, I think we have to deal with the new reality of uh, a operational technology um, being a major um, source of attack, 
Um, and, then, and then secondly, living with a new normal in which these attacks are gonna increase in frequency, they're gonna increase in sophistication. Um, and at the same time, uh, the energy system is gonna change and, and that acceleration is gonna add more complexity. So um, to, for energy companies uh, to become digital companies and in order for them to compete, um, they'll need to put cybersecurity at the core of their business models. You know, I, when we talk about um, what energy companies fundamentally need to do, um, I think the uh, recognizing and having clear ownership for industrial cybersecurity is really important. Um, when I talk to CISO, I, I really feel their pain because they've been handed the task of uh, dealing with industrial cyber um, and they got to figure out what to do about it. The, in most companies, ownership for industrial cybersecurity was, uh, was federated. It was sort of like in Europe. Who do you talk to? In uh, the, the famous uh, Henry Kissinger saying, when, when you want to talk to Europe. And I think the same challenge uh, is, is, um, um, is manifesting itself in industrial cyber as well. So step one is having centralized and clear ownership for industrial cybersecurity. Um, and then secondly, um, you know, recognizing that it's a business imperative um, and, and making it a, a core topic of enabling digitalization. And then thirdly, um, taking a risk-based approach um, to, to driving decision-making and resource allocation. Um, and, and then fourthly, I think it's really important in an industry that's been largely risk-averse and focused um, on safety and reliability, right, in the flow of energy to uptake emerging technologies like artificial intelligence to get better detection, which will, of course, then enable um, um, them to, to get faster at responding to attacks. I think uh, you, you did raise a good part of AI. And slightly shifting gears, uh, uh, Merit, what is your perspective on AI and machine learning driving the future of cybersecurity? Um, you know, they say that uh, ML is like fight club, but the opposite, you must talk about it. Um, so I think that, um, you know, in reality, what we're talking about, right, is, is the ability to have almost unlimited data or what feels like unlimited data. And then, you know, what would you do with it? How would you make analytics that are insightful and actionable? And I think that, um, you know, whether we're looking at the business um, and how they're using data to enable and, and or how the security shop is doing, you know, sophisticated shops are doing analytics on their analytics. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of promise there. That being said, like, um, I'm skeptical of the term AI. Uh, I have any anyone who's interacted with Siri lately um, can attest to the limitations of what we're able to program these days. Um, and so I think it's really more um, grounded in, you know, just like if you, and again, you, I'm a cloud uh, person. So I think of it in terms of like the unleashedness that we get with cloud where you can say like, just act as though you could have access to all the data in the world. What would you do with it? How would you, how would it augment your business? How could you um, do things more effectively? And how would security be part of that story that you tell from a business proposition? Um, I agree 
agree with Leah that like this needs to be a bottom line conversation. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of times uh, the security shops and especially in legacy enterprises um, are kind of used to being the, the party of no. Um, and so we need to shift to a, you know, more developer forward, more friendly um, model where, where security teams are challenged with enabling the business. And so whether you're using ML, um, whether those are you know services that you produce versus um, things that you consume, the real question is gonna be like, so what? What do you do with it? How do you make it relevant for your business? And one question, Merit, and for Leo as well, uh, how do you see the, the rate of adoption of cybersecurity best practices uh, within energy industry vis-a-vis -vis other industries from your experience? It's, it's no better and no, no worse than, than other critical infrastructure verticals. Um, there's some uniqueness to, to the energy industry. It's the most attacked critical infrastructure vertical. Um, it is also the backbone of our economy. So the attacks, as we saw with Colonials, you know, they, they, they hurt, they, they hurt a lot. And the cascading effects in an interconnected system are pretty severe. Um, now, when we think about the gap between the attackers and the defenders, it's widening. And as I mentioned, that has to do with the energy transition, uh, the acceleration and the push towards, um, towards a, a more efficient and cleaner energy system. But it also has to do with the fact that um, we are now, as an industry, um, you, you know, we've just undergone a massive shift um, because of COVID uh, towards uh, uh, a more interconnected environment. Uh, I, you know, I call this sofa to plant. You know, there are a number of engineers that are now connecting to real-time assets um, and crossing boundaries that previously were not to be crossed. And literally, there was a, there's a term for this. It's called the DMZ, the demilitarized zone between IT and OT. That boundary, um, as we talked about, is being increasingly blurred. I think what's important uh, to, to Merritt's point is that we as an industry, there's real awareness of the challenge. That's number one. Um, number two, um, there's, a, there's a strong focus on doing something. And the question, what does that look like, right? Uh, how do we cut through all the noise and get to things that, that really matter? Um, and for us to do this, this requires a partnership. It requires a partnership between the technology providers um, between uh, the asset owners and the OEMs like us to bring built-for-purpose solutions. Uh, I agree with Merritt that AI by itself is sort of like the dumb savant. It doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of impact. But just to give you an example, um, in the oil and gas space, we recognize that at the edge, uh, especially you know, for, for pipeline, there were a lot of under-maintained assets that were out in the field that couldn't be patched. So um, we partnered with a leading AI company called Spark Cognition to build an offering together, a security product called Deep Armor that can go on uh, obsolete assets, Windows boxes that are five, 10 years old, right? That are really hard to patch and that are isolated. To bring AI and make it work in isolated or semi-connected environments. It's that kind of innovation that we need to bring to the industry to, um, 
to you know to get ahead of attackers. And Dr. Herb, any views, thoughts from your side? Uh, yes, I, I want to build on, on something that that, that Leo said um, that, that I, I think doesn't get enough attention. Um, and, and, and what I'm about to say here may go farther than he's willing to endorse. So I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, um, but it, it is inspired by, 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 by what he says. And I think it's, it's a strong foundation of it. I mean, he emphasized the, the need to put security at the center or, or to involve security at the center of business decisions. Uh, and I, I want to emphasize that um, in the following way. I think that's an extraordinarily important point. Um, we find as a matter of practice, as experience shows, that the demand for more functionality from information technology is unlimited. We want our computer systems to do more and more and more. They have more precise control, more precise billing, um, better load management, whatever you want, right? Uh, we always want information technology to do more. And the result of that is that we are building more and more complex systems. Our systems become increasingly complex over time as a result of our unlimited desire to, to have information technology do more. But the problem is that when you have, when every security person will tell you that a more complicated, more complex system is more vulnerable to attack more things to go wrong, more people involved, more interfaces, whatever you want, okay? And so the only way, the only way in the end to get ahead of this is to stop wanting so much more. And that is a terrible thing to tell any CEO because what you're telling them is stop innovating. So, I mean, I, I put it in much starker terms that I really mean to, but my point really is that there is a tension between that. And if you want innovation, you have to consider that there are security risks that go along with it. You cannot decide, I want this innovation. Now here, cybersecurity guys, you go make it secure. You can't do that. The cybersecurity people have to be in the room to argue with the CEO or whoever makes the decisions about functionality that no, you can't go there because that will make it impossible to secure adequately, okay? And so when Leo says that the cybersecurity has to be at the, at, at the center of business decisions, that's what I will interpret what he means. As I say, I don't, I don't wanna put words in his mouth, but that's what I mean when I say that. Uh, and this is a very unpopular message. Uh, and you know, look, not everything has to be computerized. And sometimes the risks that you take for getting more functionality just aren't worth it. And, and somebody has to be willing to say that. It's the only the security guys are in a position to say that. Leo, maybe you want to respond to that. Yeah, I, no. I don't want to put I don't want to put I actually, can I, can I take it one step further and, and say that we need to be pricing security into business models. Um, you know, the, the digitalization and cybersecurity are two sides of the same coin. Security has to keep up with innovation. And as we talked about, connectivity actually enables visibility, which then enables uh, one to take a risk-based approach um, and put ownership at the core. Now, to, to do all of this well, I think we have to recognize that it doesn't need to be a false choice. 
that you know security, the trade-offs between security and connectivity, we as we there are technologies available today, cloud artificial intelligence, when deployed in the right use case, that can be really powerful in both um, reaping the benefits of digitalization, but also being more secure. Um, so we, we at Siemens, we've been on a journey, right? Um, it started out with Stocksnet. Um, it was our PLCs that were impacted. Um, we had to get serious about product security. But the world around us frankly changed and that was no longer enough. We are now much more dependent on our customers than our customers on us to drive performance optimization, um, uh, you know, unmanned power plants and uh, uh, offshore rigs. And it, with that interdependence, we had to become a security company, which is very weird to say for a 107 year old engineering company that we are now in the business of providing industrial cyber services to our customers and frankly, partnering with them to get more leverage, right? We collect a lot of intelligence, they collect some intelligence and then it becomes about speed of detection. We need to get faster at detecting attacks and then responding to them and doing this in concert. So it's not out in taking this further and saying that it needs to be part of business models and priced in and we should be partnering with one another to build collective defenses um, at different levels of the organization. It, uh, industrial cyber needs to be a board topic. It needs to be a CEO topic. And it, it needs to work at the operational level between the field organization, those that run assets, the security organization, and um, the partners like us that are they're enabling a lot of the digital services um, in, in this new era. So, I mean, I think that um, I would take what you said, Herb, and spin it the other way, because I agree they like the security people need to be in the room. But that doesn't mean that you stop your developers like and I agree, Leo, that we need to have, uh, you know, CEO level conversations that include your security posture. But that doesn't mean that we hamstring the business. And I think often this can be a false choice and it doesn't need to be, you know, the way that security looks when you move to a more, um, you know, whatever, modernized or sophisticated or whatever you want to call it, more, you know, security as code means that you can automate away a lot. And so we want to never solve the same problem twice. Um, and that means that we're hiring developers and teaching them to wear security goggles um, some of the time, you know, like that there are ways to democratize down through the pipelines of production and be able to, you know, really change your business model. But I think obviously that's easier said than done. You know, it's an ongoing uh, challenge, but I don't see the role of the security team being the folks who go to the CEO and say, don't adopt this new technology. I see their role being folks who, you know, have to make it work somehow and make it work securely. Uh, agreed, Merit. And as, as a closer uh, comment, I think uh, I definitely agree. Uh, we cannot stop innovation and technology improvement, but as again, uh, taking into Dr. Herbert's view, uh, definitely I think uh, cybersecurity should be probably the epicenter of any digital transformation at the C-suit level uh, decision making. Uh, definitely I think innovation and getting technology advanced to have that kind of greed is good so that the, the, the industries and the world improves. But at the same time, as probably Dr. Herb mentioned, trying to make sure that you do involve cybersecurity at probably the beginning would probably help solve certain issues. 
And also, um, I think reliable energy supply chains really depend on the getting the cybersecurity right now, also in the future. And also, I think one of the key points I think I learned from this panel is, of course, the governments and businesses must probably adjust to a, a continuing escalating threat landscape. And probably they should also work with the different uh, uh, governments and private sector to have some enhanced, uh, uh, what do you call, policies for production of critical infrastructure. So one key message, of course, I, I think I learned here is, is definitely the companies cannot work on the governments to make the policies. Probably they should probably forge ahead trying to voluntarily give their perspectives on how to have an effective uh, cybersecurity policy and so on. And I think thanks to all panelists for sharing your thoughts. It was a wonderful discussion. And thanks to all for participating. Thank you.